Blog Talk Radio. Oh, really? I, I, I don't was know. 
I, I know the day after, that's when the Cadbury eggs go on sale, and I just try to destroy myself. I, I don't even tear the foil off them. <laughs> I hear you. I used to, um, those Hershey marshmallow eggs, I used to love those things, but um, not as young as I used to be, so I have to kind of be careful. But, man, those things are so good. But, yeah, tomorrow candy goes on sale, what, half price, I believe? Yes. Yeah, and and then you know with with, with every five hours it goes down because they're just trying to move that inventory. But you're right though. Like these days, I, I bite into a pepperoni and my back hurts. Ah, I don't know what happened. <laughs> oh, that is too funny, too funny. Um, basically, you know, it's been a lot happening here um, in Chicago. We had an incident last night um, downtown Chicago, whereas we had some youth, and basically they were flash mobbing people downtown, and over 20 youth and a couple of adults were arrested. And this is just the beginning of our spring, summer, you know, um, time period, and I'm worried worried about these young people, worried about the consequences of some of the things that are happening. And, again, not to take any accountability and responsibility away from the individuals because they know the difference between right and wrong. But, again, where are the jobs? Where are the jobs? Where are the economic and educational, you know, opportunities? Um, you know, I posted a link last Sunday about, you know, in one particular um, area, not here in Chicago but in another state, how some of the residents were protesting a recreation center that was going up. And they weren't necessarily protesting the fact that it was going up. There were just some, you know, little intricate details that they were protesting. But, you know, I guess my issue with that is why are they protesting outside of the recreation center? Shouldn't that have been done during a city council meeting in which they could air their grievances? Because, again, some of those children could possibly be afraid seeing adults out there protesting. Children do not process information the same way that adults do. So, you know, the children may be thinking that the adults are angry with them, which will make them fearful of going to that particular recreation center. But anyway, bringing it back to Chicago, we don't have a lot of recreation centers here in Chicago for the kids. And in some cases, some of the recreation centers are religious-based. So you have the proselytizing. And, you know, statistics are showing that, you know, a lot more of these young people are moving away from religion. And and it's just it's not fair overall. You know, if you're going to help people, you help them. There should not be any conditions, you know, on that particular help unless that was agreed to, but usually not in the sense that they have to sit down and listen to you proselytize for them. But, again, you know, where are the jobs? Where are the educational opportunities? And even with the educational opportunities, another controversy here in Chicago that's happening now, they're closing, you know, over 50 schools. And we already have an issue of overcrowding. When I was, you know, a young lady attending school here in Chicago, we would have 38, 40 kids in a class. Some classes have 50-plus children in it. And books are outdated. The 
electronics are antiquated. In some cases, these teachers are under or unqualified to actually be teaching. Not all of them, but some of them are. But then also, it doesn't all fall um, on the school. You know, some of the parents have to take a more active role. It's just we have to go back into our communities. We have to go back into our communities and start trying to make it better. You know, we we can't rely on the government to do this for us, you know, even though that there are money set aside. But, again, it goes back to cronyism, you know, nepotism, things of that nature, and all of that has to be gutted out, you know, definitely. It needs to be audited, precept upon precept. But, you know, it's just interesting looking at all of this and how, is happening, but yeah, I want you guys to go out there and take a look, understand what's happening in your communities, become more involved. I really do believe that we, non-believers, free thinkers, atheists, humanists, whatever, you know, agnostic, whatever you may call yourself, in order for us to make any type of effective change, we're going to have to become more public, more visible. And to make any type of real political change, we're going to have to do it on the local level. You know, a lot of people believe that it has to be done on a federal level, and to a certain degree, that's true. However, the majority of the issues that affect you, it's local. So we're going to have to become a little bit more politically involved, if you will, and working with the powers that be in order to affect change, but then also develop a relationship, a rapport in the community. And this is why I think it's important that we get out here and we tear down the stigmas, um, you know, about non-believers. But, you know, and also in addition to the categories, you know, the topics that we're going to talk about today, we have to break down, tear down these stigmas. And in addition to that, you know, go back in and take control of the narrative. That's the problem all along. We've allowed other people to control the narrative and to define us when it was not their place to define us. But in many cases, they would tell us to be quiet and they would silence and mute us. And we would just sit back and allow that to happen. But now the younger generations, um, we're starting to say, no, we're not going to just sit back and allow you to define us and to direct the trajectory of history. No, we're not going to allow that to happen. So, you know, it's been absolutely, you know, wonderful seeing what's happening, you know, in our communities. Um, You saw what happened with the Supreme Court. They heard uh, the Defense of Marriage Act as well as the Proposition 8. That's another narrative and that's another show. But, again, one thing I do want to stress about Proposition 8 for people to understand you know, they were using the black community in the black church as a scapegoat for that Proposition 8 when the money to finance Proposition 8 came from the church, and in particular, the Mormon church. And so, you know, I've had incidents in which I had a white LGBT attack me and basically give irrational excuses as to why it was the black community's fault. And that's not true. And I provided them with plenty of evidence showing how, you know, percentage-wise, there are not enough votes in the black community in the state of California in order to have made that policy change, in order for it to have become law, that we didn't have enough votes. 
So again, take back control of the narrative. We have to get back out there. We definitely have to get back out there and make our voices heard. Will you give everybody the number again? That's 310-982-4273 to get through. And then uh, you can uh, press 1. That little voice will say, press 1 to talk to the host. And then yeah, you, you you can join in, question, comment, idea, grievance. Ex- excellent, excellent. And, you know, oh, again, yeah, definitely. I want you all to know Stephen uh, Hutchison's book. Dr. Hutchison's book is out, and it's called Godless Americana. Again, Godless Americana. And you can go to her website and get the information. You know, I was anxious about getting the Chapter 4. And it, it was not what I had anticipated, you know, anticipated it to be. It, it was actually much better. Let's just say I won't look at Dick, Jane, and Spot the same ever again. So you guys go out and get this book. It's actually a really, really good book. You know, you all definitely will enjoy it, especially those of you that are interested in feminism and um, the secular community, you know, how a lot of this has come about. There are a lot of different reference points in here, um, some excellent books, you know. So hopefully this will help you to expand your library. I know that's what it's doing for me. One of the reasons why I enjoy a lot of the books that I read is because I like going back and reading the books that they use as reference points. So one book here in the chapter that I was anxious to get to, um, she was talking about the book Reconciliation Blues, A Black Evangelical's Inside Look at White Christianity. And this was authored by Edward Gilbreth. And it's really interesting, but it was talking about uh, some of the first things I learned in Sunday school. So, yeah, guys, go out and get the book. It's a fantastic book. I have been enjoying it, you know, thus far. Um and for those asking about the link explaining Proposition 8, I'll post all of that on my page a little bit later. So you will have that information, okay? So, yes, 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 yes. All righty, then. We can move on. And before I get started on the topic today, you know, I was on Facebook a couple of days ago when the American Atheist Convention, congratulations to American Atheists, they are celebrating their 50th year anniversary, and someone posted a link about um, a talk that Dave Silverman gave at American Atheism, and he's talking about firebrand atheism. So he gave five points about firebrand atheism, and I thought they were rather interesting, so I just... I want to share that with you today. So, you know, it's five points. But when I see things like this, I take it beyond, you know, just dealing with believers. I also believe that this is applicable when dealing with one another, even within our own community. So his first point is, tell the truth. Religion is a lie. All gods are false. Respect is earned. Okay. Okay. That's that's a good thing. You know, you want people to tell the truth. And we're going to skip the other part, but go to the part where it says respect is earned. And that's also within this community. You know, just because someone says that they're a non-believer or a free thinker or an atheist, that does not automatically garner 
you know, respect or high esteem. Now, I do believe in giving people common human decency, dignity, and respect. I do believe in those things, and, you know, it's until you, the other individual, decides to, you know, tear that down. You know, there's a certain amount that I'll give you at the beginning that's given. Number two, his second point, don't feign respect for the unrespectable. Okay. You know, believers, you know, I understand there's some things that we just, many of us just can't respect. You know, you can respect the person but not necessarily respect the beliefs. You know, many of us believe that, you know, and that's one of the arguments that we've had with many believers is that they want you to respect their beliefs. And not so much. You know, we respect you as an individual, but not necessarily your beliefs. Well, the same thing on this side of the equation as well. You know, there are some things that have been done and that will continue to be done even within the, you know, free thought community that I have absolutely no respect for. And But that's okay because, again, I don't have to do it, and I don't. Number three. Don't accept inequality or privilege as the norm. Hmm. And it says it's time for atheists to be equal. Okay. That's fine. I understand, you know, just, you know, in the bigger picture, you know, society, the greater picture here, you know, yes, it's time for atheists to have just as many rights and opportunities as believers, especially when it comes to these 501c3s and you have these faith-based initiatives, you know, if you're going to give money to people for community outreach, then it should be given across the board. And people of faith should not be given, you know, extra consideration just because they are of faith. However, let's flip that a little bit and apply it to this side of the equation. Don't accept inequality or privilege as the norm. And that goes back to the argument we had yesterday, well, last week, and other arguments that we've had in the past. (laughs) Just because you don't see a certain situation as a privilege or you don't see yourself as having a privilege, that's because you are accustomed to that privilege. It's not because it's not there. It's because it benefits you. So when we start talking about racism and sexism and privilege, you know, again, why should we accept it? Why should we accept the inequality? Why should we accept the privilege? So if you're going to apply that to one side of the equation, you have to apply it to the other side of the equation, and we're going to have to open up this dialogue and talk about what's happening. And I'm not talking about opening up the dialogue to your sycophantic flunkies. You need people there who have a differing opinion. And then maybe we can get together and and talk about it and we can move forward as a community. Number four, if someone claims to be offended by the truth, it is because they are afraid of losing privilege and power. This is our cue to speak louder. I think that's pretty self-explanatory, but I'll go into it a little bit today. On the one side of the equation with believers, yes, many of them are offended by what we believe and the truth that we speak. And, again, you know, we've said to them, you know, you can have your own truth, but you can't have your own facts. Well, again, 
that applies to this side of the equation as well. So there are some that are offended when we start talking about racism and sexism, and it's a very real, it's a a reality for many of us. And we are a minority within a minority within a minority. You know, not only with the racism and the sexism, but we can't forget the homophobia as well. And this is not everybody. It's not indicative of everybody, but it's, it's too much of it for it to be ignored. And, again, you know, I spoke on it before about how I see some of the hierarchy in this community being, you know, the equivalent to, you know, the Republican Party. You know, the good old boys club, and they're fighting tooth and nail because there are other, you know, groups coming into this community. And so, again, we have to speak a little louder. We have to tell them exactly what they did that was wrong and explain to them why it was wrong. So, again, that's number four. Number five, and the final point, if someone tries to limit freedom because of religion, repeat numbers one through four louder. And, again, we can apply it to the other side of the equation. If someone tries to limit freedom because of the status quo, then we have to repeat numbers one through four louder. And it's just as important that, you know, we try to keep this balance and we understand and keep ourselves in check. Um, I posted an article um, the other day about some Latino atheists, in particular the Chicago atheists. You know, I've had the pleasure of uh, meeting with them and becoming acquainted with um, the young man that runs the group. His name was Jose, wonderful guy. He came to our day of solidarity. And, guys, go and read that article, you know, because, unfortunately, when you say minority atheists, you know, and he's correct, when you say minority atheists, people automatically think black. However, you know, we have the Latino atheists out there. We have Native American or indigenous atheists. You know, we have to make sure that, you know, we work together. You know, we have to convey the diversity. You know, even when some of these other groups will not necessarily, you know, include us, it's not a lot of inclusivity, you know, we need to work together, period. But most importantly, I want you all to read those comments. Now, I know we, um, you know, we, you know, sometimes have issues with the way that, we're, we're, how can I put it, you know, I won't say attacked, but the way that some people kind of approach us, you know, was continually asking us why do we have black in front of our names and all of these different things. But, you know, they get it even worse because they're a smaller group, but they're growing, and they're growing. And so, I mean, I definitely want to make sure that we show them some love and let them know that, you know, we're working with them and, this is just as important. It's extremely important that we, you know, again, work within the parameters of what's happening here. But, uh, you know, on that note, you know, I just wanted to bring those five points to you. He knocked that out the park, and I just want to make sure that we kind of keep that fair and balanced, if you will, and apply it to this side of the equation because I definitely do not want us to get to the point that, you know, we don't check ourselves and we forget 
that, you know, some of the same issues in greater society we have within our little microcosm, you know, of society. So on that note, we're going to move on, and we are going to talk about religion, masculinity, and homophobia. You know, in this particular, you know, topic, we it should be interesting because we talked about religion and black male privilege last week, and, of course, we get some um, interesting feedback. In one particular case, we had uh, a young man that, I guess he didn't appreciate what I had to say about that. But, again, you know, people have different reasons for believing different things. And, you know, to each his own. And, you know, you have the right to believe as you see fit. You know, you may not believe the way that we do, and that's okay. And we encourage people that have different opinions to speak to us and to let us know, you know, where they're coming from and how they feel about these things. But, again, before we get started, let's define some terms so that people will know, you know, basically. And I'm sure many of you are already, you know, familiar with these terms, but I'm going to define it for the sake of simplicity. Homophobia, an extreme and irrational aversion to homosexuality and homosexual people. And one of the memes I see going around Facebook is, you know, you're not afraid of gay people. You're just an asshole. So is that was interesting. Um, hypermasculinity. Hypermasculinity is a psychological term for the exaggeration of male stereotypical behavior, such as an emphasis on strength, aggression, um, and you know, sexuality. And so, again, you know, guys, go out and do some research on those particular terms. I would also encourage you to do some research on cultural anthropology as well and gender roles. You know, do some research about that so you can expand your mind and get a better idea because this is not the first time nor the last time um, we're going to visit this particular subject. So anyway, you know, I posted some links earlier, and, you know, I had someone from Atlanta on the line. They hung up, but um, basically, you know, talking about, you know, these different things, for you male feminists out there, and even for some of you women out here, there's a book called Black Men on Race, Gender and Sexuality. Black Men on Race, Gender, and Sexuality is actually a really, really good book. And it was edited by Devin Carbato. And there's one particular, well, there are two stories I'm going to tell you about here, two um, uh, pieces. And the first piece here, the title of the uh, title of this story is, and forgive me, but this is what he called it. It's called Fixing the Faggot. Black Subjectivity as Autocartography in the Work of Lyle Ashton Harris. And in this particular, um, you know, uh, narrative that he wrote, basically he was um, talking about, you know, a friend, and this friend was a nationalist. 
and, you know, I'm just going to talk about part of it here. But basically the friend had asked him, don't you find some conflict between being black and your identity as a gay man? And even he said, despite the fact that this question was unoriginal, the inquiry did leave a residue of a real conceptual impasse. How does one admit to and then account for the fact that the various identities we claim are always contingent, never stable, and usually disabling if trusted too heartily? So I thought that was quite, you know, interesting there because, you know, being black and gay, how do you reconcile it? How do you reconcile that when, especially when you're religious, and every Sunday or every other Sunday you have the pastor, you know, um, basically in a pulpit going on homophobic tirades? So, you know, how do you reconcile that? How do you deal with that particular issue? Um, you know, how does that resonate within you? How can you move on? And so, you know, I just think these are very important questions, you know, especially with the rampant homophobia in our community. And, again, you know, the hyper-masculinity and, you know, again, we can delve into a hip-hop and how masculinity, you know, is the definition of masculinity, you know, it can come from a number of areas, not only from religion, it can come from, you know, advertisements on television. You know, this has been discussed in many different realms. But, again, you know, who defines what masculinity is and who gave them that permission to define what masculinity is? And, you know, is masculinity fluid? I guess that's, you know, some of the questions that I may have. Let's go ahead and pick up 404. May we ask who's calling? Hi, Kim. Annalise. Hey, Annalise. Okay. <laughs> hey, Annalise. Yeah, you know, so, you know, we're talking about, you know, masculinity, and I read that, you know, a portion of what I get from this particular story from B.E. Myers. And basically, you know, how do you reconcile, you know, uh, you know, one of the Christians or one of his nationalist friends, not a Christian but a nationalist friend, was saying, you know, basically how can you be black and how can you be gay at the same time? And, you know, basically inferring that you can't be both, that being you can't be black and be gay. So I guess if you're gay, you have to turn in your black card. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that just goes to show you that uh, these concepts of masculinity, blackness, uh, whiteness, uh, what have you, uh, uh, femininity, are all social construction, which means, you know, the, the, the meaning shifts. They are informed by culture, experience, by privilege. You know, who, who has the power to name? And are you there? Yes, I'm here. Uh, I heard beeping. Maybe I was putting on my ear on this. So anyway, um, so that's, I mean, that's what people have to keep in mind is that, and I've always, well, I'll put it like this. I have always advocated for the shaping, I'm sorry, maybe my ear is hitting the keypad that I keep hearing beeping, Uh, but the, the shaping, yeah, that, 
that's me. But the shaping of, um, hold on, let me see if I can take that key, there we go, take that keypad off of there, there we go. I have a new phone, <laughs> so I'm getting used to it. But, um, yeah, 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 I mean, the point is that you, you have to, each one of us has to be in control of how we shape our identity. And therefore, I mean, otherwise you're going to give up, if you will, your own identity, what it means to be masculine, what it means to be feminine, to, you know, culture that yes. is defining it for you. And that's really key is that the and, – and that's, well, and that's hard to do right now because um, – most of us, I mean, are consuming and consumers in many ways. We don't recognize the way to by which we consume, and we therefore are not producing. Right? We're, we're consumer. You can be a consumer more so, or than a producer. A producer and a producer culture, uh, you know, has to do with those who are making and creating their own whatever, their own thinking, their own definitions, their own food, their own, you know, what have you, identity life. And part of the problem, part of the problem is that so many of us are consumers and we, you know, are critiquing and or some people aren't even aware of how much they're consuming. Exactly. And how much, yeah, yeah. So if you if you are more of a consumer, uh, one who does not really critique culture, one who goes along with the crowd, one yeah. who's uh, and and this is true of no matter what your um, uh, belief or non-belief is. Exactly. Right. I mean, you could be a non-believer and still be caught up in consuming ideas and attitudes that can take you down the wrong direction because being an atheist or a non-believer is not a panacea for all that's going on in our lives and in our world. Exactly. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and that's been a problem for a while, being, you know, consumers and not producers, and that's one of the reasons why we're experiencing some of the issues we're having, even with the economy, and they're, you know, encouraging you to consume, to consume, to spend, to spend, to spend, and again, you know, now that we're a global economy, you know, the dichotomy of all of this has changed, but... Again, you know, we have to keep all of that in mind, but, you know, that will take me off into a totally different rant. So go ahead. <laughs> well, the, and the other thing, and the thing that I was calling in about was tie-in. Well, actually, I was thinking of this before you uh, brought up this subject, this book and, and whatnot. But to tie, but it goes nicely with, with what I was um, interested in talking about was um, I saw a tweet recently from Richard Dawkins, he uh, tweeted uh, about Jimmy Carter. He said, what a truly good man Jimmy Carter is, leaving his church because of its discrimination against women. And, you know, immediately my reaction to that was, really? You know? <laughs> and and this, is, this is, 
my reaction was, again, to be critical of a statement like that uh, where Jimmy Carter, ex, you know, former president Jimmy Carter, is considered a good man for critiquing and or leaving the church or whatever because of how it has discriminated against women. And why do I do that? Why would you think I did Why would you think I have a, a issue with that particular statement? Why do I think that you would have an yeah, issue that, with yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know me, so I'm just that's a question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it could be a number of reasons why you would have an issue with that particular um, statement that you know Dawkins made, but um, one part of it, part of it is, is that you know maybe had Jimmy Carter stayed within his church, maybe he could have made more of an effective change from the inside out rather than from the outside in. Yeah, that's 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 certainly plausible. I, I can go with that. Yes, but that, but that ain't that ain't why I have a problem with it initially. <laughs> Right. The reason I have a problem with it is in calling him a good man, right, that right. he has left the church and left oh, yeah. over this discrimination of women. Because, mm-hmm. let me tell you, this, and this is how privilege works, right? This is right. how white male privilege works, and it ties in with definitions and, and again, uh, ways that people have of, of um, gaining power and privilege. Right. This man is probably 80 years old, right? Right. Mm-hmm. He's lived his whole life, almost. You know, he got probably a few good years left. And waits until the flipping end to right. stand up to this discrimination against women in the church. He, exactly. He had the opportunity to stand up against women treatment because because of religion and the church when he was much, much younger. Right. So my question would be, why didn't he come out with this sooner? Why right. wait? Why didn't he not speak out sooner? Right. Because he's a very brilliant man. Yeah, why wait until he nearly dead, you know, to do this? And the reason mm. I critique that is because I do think that if he had come out much earlier and resisted that and did what he has done now, back then, 30, 40 years ago, which clearly, he, I mean, um, he's, a, he's a man who thinks deeply, and, uh, but if he had come out, he would not have gained, he would not have gained that power and that, that as much power and privilege. Because that would have taken away from the public support that he had, right? Exactly. And so this is is something that people must be wary of, and that's why I have an issue with the statement. Even though I think what he's done is is a good thing, okay? But it doesn't make him, per se, a good man. It doesn't, you know, meaning truly when when you look at the way that people have, put their lives on the line mm-hmm. for others, you know, uh, when they have stood in the face of, of um, you know, oppression. Mm-hmm. Usually the ones who have made the greatest impact, 
the one it is the ones who have been on the front line. Right. Like Taking a major have hit. Been the, have been the ones who have had who've had the most to lose. Exactly. Not exactly. you know you see what I'm saying? I mean meaning the most in that or maybe they, they had nothing else to lose. You could put it like that too. But what right. I'm saying is, you know, I don't think that that's a good thing. I don't think waiting until you're almost gone and then saying, right. hey, I have trouble with this church, this exactly. God thing, after you gain all this power and privilege, is that useful. Because exactly. what he, yeah, had he done that many, many years ago, you know, again, we needed him to do that long time ago. Exactly. And had he done that, you know, right after his presidency or even during his presidency, it would have had a greater, you know, and a wider impact, you know, on society. Yeah. And I'm not saying it it would have made a meaning. What I'm saying is it would have cost him more to do it then. Mm -hmm. But in terms of his voice you know his 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 advocacy was needed at a greater if you will kind of um urgency when he 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 himself was younger had the energy to do a b c and d you know right. but now at what are you going to do you know what is he going to do what is you know other than it's good that he's speaking up speaking right. out but you know we, what we need we don't need people to speak up and out all the time. What we need is action. Exactly. Right. If you want to end patriarchy, if you want to end sexism and racism and heterosexism, and I posted this on my page just the other day, mm-hmm. then we need people who are willing to stand on the front line when they yep. are at their peak in life. When it when they are, are able bodied, I'm not saying he is not, but when I mean when you are when you are most powerful, right? When mm-hmm. you are most most, uh, you know, most you know, viral, most active. Oh, there right. you go, there you go, viral, viral. Yes, because you know what I'm saying. I think, I think this is, I have a problem with that. I have a problem with people who, do, all these people, 2.7 million people said they stand in support of same-sex marriage. Well, I hope these same damn people, and I know they're not, but I, but I wish to see <laughs> same people, 2.7 million people, will be mm-hmm. that vigilant. When it comes mm-hmm. to racism and sexism, you know, in addition it's to heterosexism and homophobia, I want to say I say heterosexism because it's a it's a it's a problem with heterosexual people, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> it's a prob the problem lies in the belief that being heterosexual is the norm or is the is natural, you know, is the natural biological norm or natural right. um, sexual exactly. norm. And and unfortunately, you know, in some cases in the LGBTQ community, they take on the worst facets of heterosexism, which yeah. comes term of playing house, if you will. But yeah. anyway. Precisely. And that's my point, because you can be LGBTQI and still be heterosexist. You feel me? I mean, mm-hmm. you can, a, a person who is lesbian or gay or what have you can still be perpetuating ideas of of hate or disdain for homosexual behavior or homosexual lifestyle. Right. 
Exactly. So, you know, I know plenty of friends who have, you know, for years denied that they were gay or lesbian or whatever because they couldn't in their minds. You know what I'm saying? They couldn't fathom that. Well, it, 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 to them it was an abomination. Really, when you when you pull back the, the layers or the covers. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. We're going to bring Raina in on this, but check okay, it out. Cool. I, want to make, I, I want to make a point to that as well because this is something that we have to remind people, and again, it goes back to reclaiming history. This current gay rights movement that we're experiencing, that, you know, we're celebrating, you know, with the cases in front of the Supreme Court because I believe that this is going to be transforming. Let's take it back. Let's take it back to Stonewall. Let's give credit where credit is due. I posted an article from um, a trans person talking about why trans people have an issue with the human rights campaign and and what's happening with the gay rights movement right now. Let's take it back to Stonewall. If it had not been for trans people, especially black and Latino trans people, that basically started to fight back at Stonewall, we would have no gay rights movement right now. We got to take it back and give credit where it's due. And what what happened was, yeah, go ahead. It's always those who have, you know, the most at stake, the ones who are most affected by whatever the problem is, that are willing to be on the line. That if we wait on the most privileged or the most quote-unquote liberal of people mm-hmm. to get busy and do some work, we'll be waiting forever. Exactly. Because they're, they're not that, I mean, they not. it's not even about willingness, but it's like, I mean, I really believe it's that power, it's that privilege that's keeping them from speaking because they're, they know they're going to lose, right? They know they're exactly. going to lose something. Mm-hmm. But but when it comes to the people, again, same thing as you say with Stonewall, the same is true of the abolition movement. That's right. There were whites, there were whites involved in the abolition movement, but the ones who were the most militant, the ones who, you know, really kicked, kicked things off, were black folks. Exactly. exactly. Well, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people, though, and I think it's on purpose that they're trying to make it look like we're we're not that way. Because I recently had a, uh, a conversation with someone on Facebook with another uh, black person who identified as LGBT, and it upset me so much that I had to make a meme out of it because this other black man was telling me that maybe that, because he saw an article where it had two men on it, um, this in the Time Magazine's article, and he said, well, if black people weren't so busy throwing shade and, and out at the clubs and stuff, um, um, and we knew how to uh, stick together, maybe we we would know how to stand up for the LGBT community. And I'm and I I told him, you're seeing what you're being shown. Then there's a reason that you're not seeing that there, that we are there. We have always been there. And it upsets mm-hmm. me that you, he seriously argued the idea that, oh, well, you know, white people treat us so much better. I feel much, so much better around such and such. Once again, taking on the idea of that white savior bullcrap because when you come around them, you don't realize that in some cases you're being fetishized. I know because I deal with it all the time, especially right. where I am. You're treated nicely, yeah, because you're that nice piece of 
You know, you're exotic. Right. That's why you're treated nicely. But to completely right. discount and try to claim that your own people are more homophobic that's just because that's what you're being told? Told. Right. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you, what you're saying. I'm just saying when we look back, and look, at, I agree with that, when we look back at the narrative, it is, it is those people that have been on the line that have been working for that change, whether they're visible or not, and those those are the ones who've taken the greatest onslaught. You feel me? Maybe yeah. nobody knows mm-hmm. about it, but mm-hmm. yeah, when the story gets told and it's, it's puppy, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Yep. When the story gets told, then insert the white male or white female savior. That you know, for for what is taking place when it comes to certain issues, and I'm not saying there aren't issues where whites have been on the, at the fore, they have. But, um, you know, when, when when there's a dismissal of the involvement mm-hmm. of so many uh, women, men, or black women and men uh, in the front the of these movements, and trans on the front of these movements, again, whatever, whatever issue it is, it's always those who are the most affected, who are, who are the ones, again, this Right on the front line. Right on the front line. Uh, exactly. You know, you get great, it's I'm great that you have whites behind who support, I mean, for example, with, with regards to funding it. Fund, I mean, that's happened too. Yes, that's happened. I mean, how do you think Harriet Tubman wrote her narrative? <laughs> you know, how do you think exactly. uh, Frederick Douglass wrote his narrative? You feel me? Uh, exactly. I feel, like, I feel like how does someone actually completely... Um, fight as hard as, as they can without completely having experience the situation to actually come out of. That's the reason I say I feel like there are a lot of us that are on the forefront. For example, that's what put me out there because I actually experienced, you know, being that person that grew up uh, with Southern Baptist, all of that, you know, so I grew up homophobic and all, all the rest of that, you know. I mean, fast forward that to years later after everything that I went through and I find myself being a person that doesn't completely... Um, agree with any of the, I guess you could say, uh, well, I'm of course not homophobic because I identify LGBT, you know. But not only that, I've rejected the idea of just uh, hyper-masculinity as well. I mean, I grew up when I was little thinking, oh, well, boys had to do this, girls had to do that. Then I get older, and, you know, I'm a guy that's still, okay, I like to camp, I like to fish, etc. I also like to do hair. Look, I also like to do drag. It's like, and what's wrong with that, you know? But That's right. We're, yeah, we're, that's right. We're, there's nothing wrong with we that. Are right. We are taught, of course, that, you know, there's this one specific way that everything has to be, especially within the religious community. Because I, I remember the other day, you know, seeing somebody, they were talking about um, they beat their son or something because they can pick up a dog. I'm like, really? Right. That's, yeah, there's I mean, nothing like, about his sexuality. Maybe he would be a really good beautician, and that says nothing about his sexuality. And even if it did, so what? Um, I was going to say that um, there, you know, I remember when that um, Princess Boy story came out. Um, mm-hmm. I remember so many people were highly, highly critical of that of that child yeah. and his family allowing him to dress up that way. But he's a child, like, you know what I mean. And and even if he decides that this is the way he wants to be for the rest of his life, like, who does it actually harm? Yep, exactly. You know what I mean? 
it doesn't harm anybody. But but more importantly, he's a child, and child uh, or children, you know, they experiment. They experiment with different personalities. They experiment experiment with different types of you know roles that they see. You know, that's the whole purpose of dress up. You know what I mean? Is to kind of put yourself into those roles that you might encounter when you're an adult. You know, does this right. feel right? Do I like this? You know what I mean? And it's just ridiculous. And I, I just remember having conversations with my family, and they were saying, they asked me, because I'm the liberal one, they asked me, <laughs> they asked me, they asked, well, I was the only, I was the most liberal one in the room at that time, actually, but <laughs> there's another one. But anyway, um, they asked me, you know, would I allow a child of mine to dress that way? I said, I said, I see nothing wrong with it, you know. I mean, you know, if they, if they had, if there was something, if there was something else I needed to, to find out, like if there was, you know, a problem or there was a reason they told me that they were dressing like this, then we would explore that. But, you know, if it's just, you know, I just like pink and I like tutus, well, like pink and wear tutus. That's fine. Did you bring home A's? All right. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, you know, and that's what matters, you know, that, you know, again, one of the things that I've noticed is that in our particular culture, a lot of a child's individuality, a lot of their, you know, um, mystique, a lot of their curiosity is kind of stamped out of them and in some cases beat out of them, you know, because in many cases, you know, people become so concerned with conforming to social standards that have been set by, you know, cultural norms, if you will, that any time you deviate, you know, or, or color outside of the lines, that it becomes a problem. And, you know, we have to work on that because, again, you know, this is how these kids, these children figure out who they are. That's some of the issues we have with adults. Many adults don't know who they are because they're too busy trying to be something that they're not. They're trying right. to, you know, be accepted by a community that doesn't even really know itself. So it's it's just interesting. And then when you add in, you know, the religion, and then you add in, um, you know, again, I was talking earlier about advertisement and the definitions of certain things. It's like, you know, mixing, you know, fire and oil. You know, it's bound to burn out of control, and that's some of the issues that we're having now. Exactly. exactly. I mean, I just, I mean, I'll just share, you know, something else. Like, I remember when I was younger, um, at my favorite, favorite, favorite cousin was, um, you know, not, you know, stereotypically masculine. He wasn't particularly into sports. Um, he liked theater. He likes theater. He likes performing. And, um, you know, I remember his dad forcing him every year to take part in, you know, these um, different sports activities, usually baseball and football. And my cousin hated it. He hated it. It sucks. Yeah. It was like he would much rather be doing something else. And it was so funny because, like, his father, I think, was just really, really concerned that his son would be gay. But what was so funny is that, in theater, he was usually the only man. <laughs> right, right. So it was, it was, it was all fun and games for him because, like, you know, he gets to do theater, which he loves, and he gets to be around all these beautiful women. 
So it was awesome for him. His dad didn't understand that, like, this is just part of his personality. It had nothing to do, it was not a statement of his sexuality in any way, shape, or form. You know? Right. You're so right. You're so right because I had a friend that had that almost exact same situation, and it was funny because no one knew how to handle it at the school that I went to in high school. A good friend of mine, and he was a, he worked out a lot, so he's a pretty big guy. But he got there, and everybody expected him to want to play sports or something. Well, he decided to join cheerleaders, so every a rumor started swirling then, of course, about his sexuality. I'm like, why do we have to apply a sexuality to somebody wants to? Do? Not only is he in here, and they do need people to help them lift and stuff like that, but like you just said, yeah, he got to be around a bunch of beautiful women. Right. <laughs> and, don't think, and don't think that he never took advantage of that situation. Exactly. Of course he did. He never, he never had to worry about finding a date for prom or, you know what I mean, a dance or anything, you know? Exactly, exactly. And so that's why I just think it's important that, you know, we address that. I'm going to be tweeting out some information later. I'm going to tweet out a PDF to a book, um, Homophobia, a Weapon of Sexism. I'm also going to tweet out uh, a PDF to a book called Homophobia, Hypermasculinity in the U.S. Black Church. And, you know, it, and, you know, it's just, it's, you know, I want you guys to go out and read these different things and do some research on your own to kind of get a better understanding. And, again, you know, we were talking earlier about um name with the media and basically it all boils down to, you know, with the media here in this country that, you know, they get structured. They structure, you know, the definition of masculinity, but it's structured structured against the dominant culture, which happens to be, you know, specifically white. So, you know, again, we have to go back in and kind of revamp some things and, you know, discuss it. You know, we have to bring this to the forefront and, you know, We've made some strides and some changes, and I remember posting and stating a while ago about how I saw that the black church was going to start embracing and, you know, actively recruiting the LGBT community. And basically it all boils down to money, you know, and, you know, the money that they can get out of the community. And um, Go ahead. I don't get it. Putting butts in the seats and change in the collection plate. But I don't get it. How can they? How? How? They just they just preach a kinder. They just preach that kinder, gentler Christ crap. You know what I mean? (laughs) How is that that thing about the the Bible? How it actually does change. They just change how they interpret it. Like now, oh, you know what? Orange means chair now. We, we, we've changed that word. And, and it's a new way that they, so that they can continue to promote their product and bring in more customers. It's just good for business. Exactly. That's into the kingdom of heaven. No, what we really meant is you'll actually get a cabin out in the back somewhere, but you'll still get in. Great, great. Yeah, there's Wi-Fi. Yeah, same, old, same old bullshit, just a new jingle, that's all. Right, exactly, you know, and what I, you know, again, they evolve the church and their dogmas and their doctrines to a certain degree. It evolves if it's going to bring more people to warm the warm, warm money into the coffers. However, 
you know, again, you will still have some of them out there basically using that Bible as a weapon. And, you know, again, you know, it's, again, when we were talking about, um, you know, privilege last week and sexism, if we were to truly address those issues and, you know, basically tear down, tear those down, that it will make life a lot easier for everyone across the board because then, you know, men will be able to be themselves, you know, whether they're, you know, just a walking testament of testosterone or or if they want to, you know, you know, run around with daffodils in their hair. It should not matter. It really shouldn't matter. They should be able to do as they do to see fit, but as long as we continue to uphold, you know, these different stereotypes and these stigmas and allow other people to dictate and define who and what we are, then we will continue to have these problems. Well, Kim, I'm going to throw something out for your consideration again, going back to what I was saying about the Jimmy Carter or Richard Dawkins thing. Because... Like you were saying, if we were to truly address these, we are addressing these issues. There are those of us who are standing front line. There are those of us who are working day to day, putting ourselves at risk for these issues, right? Straight, gay, lesbian, you know, we're here. But what happens is when the, again, going back to what Cuffy was saying, then the narrative gets told, and and or there's attention that's drawn to a particular issue, and a white male is praised as being good, you feel me? That's mm-hmm. a kind of undermining of the activity that's actually taking place. Because right. because the, the activity is taking, we are doing these things. Right? Exactly. We're here. We're here. We're doing them. Um, and... and there's no just one way to be active against right. oppression. You know, it's, it's happening um, via, you know, shows like yours. It's happening, um, you know, in writing. It's happening in projects, uh, you know, what black skeptics are doing out in L.A. It's happening. Yeah. It's happening exactly. every day. It's happening. I just wrote a blog about every day of, uh, politics of resistance is happening by women who refuse to uh, be totally defined and consumed by male patriarchal um, behavior or or power. I mean, I was writing a book. I was writing a book. I was writing a blog even about my own experience, but just talking about the ways in which sometimes even the simplest of things are having an impact, right? Right. Exactly. And we can't sit here and say that we're not doing them. You know, we, we've got to embrace and, and start telling our stories so that people know this kind of work is being done, I mean, to the degree that, you know, it won't hurt the, the resistance, it won't hinder it. But we've got right. to be the ones to start putting it out there so that other like minds, you know, people would do you know, similar things. Because similarly, when I wrote this uh, blog on the wig uh, the other day on my blog site, I had someone contact me on Facebook, and she said, you know, I just want to tell you, you know, I was just, it was just a great read, and I'm going to go buy my first wig, right? And she's just not buying a wig to 
go out and wear her hair in a certain, you know, way just to be doing it. She's doing doing it with some understanding of how political it is to change your hair. Mm-hmm. That's exactly. what I'm saying. It's so important for us to put it out there. Uh, we have to talk about it. You have to write down your narrative because the other narrative that's being written is, again, the great white hope Jimmy Carter comes along and, you know, walks away from the church or whatever, his religion. Mm-hmm. I don't get the point that he's saying he's an atheist, but he's just distancing right. himself from it. Okay, what does it mean? Exactly. Exactly. What does it mean in the overall big picture of things? Because, like you said earlier, when he could have made the greatest impact and, you know, been, you know, one of the biggest, you know, uh, advocates or one of the biggest allies, if you will, that time pretty much has gone by. That opportunity has passed. So, again, so, you know, well, let's just take the benefit of the doubt. And one other thing, one other uh-huh. thing it does for him, it wins him personally points. You know, we, that's not what we want. We we want people, yes, we want to say, oh, that's great, somebody did A, B, C, and D, but we want that that action by that person to affect other people to do, the, you know, the same. You know, it's just not enough to kind of dump it in Jimmy Carter's lap and say, isn't he a great man? Okay, you know, yeah, maybe so, but, I mean, if anybody's going to do something great, I mean, greatness means also other people are wanting to do like likewise, follow suit. You know, it's just not all, you know, it's, it's this thing right now. It's bigger than Jimmy Carter, you know. Uh, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I'm pointing out that people tend to, when they see stuff like that, as Richard Dawkins has done, Dr. Dawkins has done, praise Jimmy Carter. You know, well, let me tell you something, uh, Dr. Dawkins. There have been whole movements around gender. You know, like, come on. Are you kidding me? We are not going to collapse the the women's liberation movement, which is a global movement, into this moment with President Jimmy Carter. Give me a break. Right. And then dismiss, dismiss, and or kind of jump nuance over, you know, the fact that a whole movement is is ongoing, it's been ongoing. Right. Well, I mean, Dawkins, Dawkins is, um, you know, lack of of knowledge with respect to women's liberation was oh, evident yeah. when he wrote that's, um, that's um, I, I forget what it was. Was it a tweet or was it a blog? Whichever it was, when he was, or the letter that he wrote where he was basically saying that, like, basically uh, saying, like, unless we're dealing with, like, female genital mutilation or, like, you know, oppressive. Yeah, who, yeah, who cares? Right, right. Uh, right, <laughs> oppressive, you know, patriarchal Islam, you know, and mm-hmm. its dictates that we don't really have too much to be worried about on this mm-hmm. side of the equation, which is just foolishness, you know. Yeah, I mean, well, it is what male, that's what male privilege is. I don't expect a a privileged white male or privileged male period to say, yep, you know what, that's me, I'm being... Uh, I'm I'm not sensitive to these issues. I don't expect them to, if you will, as uh, Stokely Carmichael, Kwame uh, Ture said, to to condemn themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Because right. I I mean they are not going to just say I admit I I'm I'm wrong here or, or I don't know enough here. 
I'm like, always right. encouraged when I hear men saying to me, you know, hey, I'd love to sit down and talk with you because I, I think I can learn something from you. Uh, it takes yeah. that kind of humility on the part of those who have historically been in privileged positions to for this thing to really work, right? It's right. not working if they come in trying to claim, if you will, superiority and or all knowledge, all, you know, um, you know, all the power over others. Right. That mm-hmm. it really does well, take a positioning. Yeah. Right. And um and just like what you were saying with the humility that, you know, you don't expect him to condemn himself. Uh, you know, unfortunately, Stokely Carmichael and a lot of uh black males that have been prominent in our history and culture have also yeah, been guilty of that same yeah. you know, well, lack of humility totally. and sort of insight. But um Right. But, totally. yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's not to exonerate him, so to speak, or to dismiss what he's done. I just, I just yeah. like the quote. But, yeah, but definitely, you know, this is a part that people don't get. You know, they want to come in and, again, enter in, say something, pray, give all praise, when, in fact, you know, they've been miserable at really understanding patriarchy, sexism, uh, heterosexism. Because I mean, that's the thing. And I had to learn this, too, and I'm still learning. I still educate myself about uh, same-sex relationships and, and uh, bi, trans, all of that, because that's not my, you know, experience. And so I can't come in, since I'm a heterosexual woman, thinking, hey, I can come into this and say anything because I know a little bit or I read an article here or there. And I yield. I yield to those who, who are experiencing uh, whatever ism or oppression, you know, that mm-hmm. I'm not experiencing. Right. Well, I think, right. I think um, and, and while I agree, and I agree with you um, wholeheartedly about sort of, you know, praising, you know, the sort of white saviors, you know, they seem to get trotted out. But, um, you know, we also, I think, I think Jimmy Carter might have actually benefited a lot from um, watching Melissa Harris Perry when she was talking about how to be a good ally on her uh-huh on her show on Saturday. Um, that was a really, really, really yeah. good show. Um, right. And, and, you know, and I think it's something that we can all really benefit from from sort of knowing and, and acquainting ourselves with. But, um, you know, and, 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 and sometimes we also have to, on our side, be, be cautious that we're not too um, reactionary, not saying that you are, Annalise, but, you know, sometimes people can be a little reactionary when they see you know, other people coming right. out in support of things and sort right. of, you know, dismissing them as though they're being saviors when, yeah. in fact, they might actually just be coming out to try to create space for people who yeah. are oppressed to actually use their voice. You right, know what well, I mean? so, absolutely, and I'm not, that's what I'm saying. I don't say that what Jimmy Carter did was a bad thing, but right. I'm not going to then you know, go that next step and say, oh, he's such a great or a good man for doing it when, right. you know, cause sometimes... It, I well, mean, he's just being a human being. Yeah, I'm like, what, what makes that so great? <laughs> yeah, yeah and, I mean, right. it's wonderful. I, Jimmy Carter has always always struck me as a man who listens. I, I like his a lot of his policies, his thinking. Um, this is not personal against him. You feel me? This right. is just mm-hmm. to say that, you know, we can't attribute more to someone like you're just saying 
than than really uh, is owed. You know that. Gosh, we you know <laughs> there's been old you know struggles, battles, killings, still and even going. I just posted a picture of a um, on my Facebook page of a black man's back, a Sudanese black man's back that was whipped. Uh, he was whipped in Greece uh, because the Grecians, or I, I, I guess I guess that's what they call themselves, you know, are you know take out frustrations on the Africans, uh, an African male particularly, African males particularly, you know, it's like wow, you know, this where are we on this? You know, we we, we were in Newtown. Remember when Newtown went down? Newtown was everybody. I mean, it's, it's like the we were. You know, everything stopped. Right. And for someone writing me, one of my sorority sisters writing me about it, I was like, children die every day. And yeah. we don't weep. Exactly. Exactly. We're not weeping for the children who die every day. But now you sound many... cruel. Yes, he defended me for doing that. But I didn't care because that's the truth. Every exactly. minute, every second, right. someone, a child is being raped or killed in some way, shape, or form. Right. Exactly. Because I basically, you know, I spoke out and I was, you know, saying in our community, you know, there are children that are being abused and killed every day. You know, where are the National Guard to come in for us? Where are the grief counselors for our community? Where is the money and the outreach and the outpouring? And, you know, you know, and where are the tears? Where are the yeah. tears? You know, what What the hell? Right. Yeah. Yeah, you remember that uh, phrase in, uh, what's that movie, Antoine Fisher? And, and he had this wonderful, you know, based on a true story, Wonderful poem. I, I love the man. I was crying like a big baby when I saw that movie. You know, who will cry for a little boy? Who, you know, who cried for this little black boy? Yeah. And this this extends to us. I mean, to go along with your topic as to how, when it comes to black males, that nobody's crying for them. Sure, expendable. Who's crying? I mean, who's crying in mass like that? I'm saying people are. I mean, thank goodness for those who, again, were on the front line. Uh, all, all particularly, you know, with that issue, uh, they're right. great. Well, the, and I mean, you could also, you could also say who's crying for the black women. Look at all the black women who disappeared. Where they? Yeah. Where are they? Yep. Where are the? Where are the? The week, you don't hear anything the week about long manhunts for them. Where are the? You know, where are the search dogs? Where are the? You know, the long. You know, um, you know, hour-long specials on television covering their lives, right. and you know, right. you don't the get no human side of the story. You know, right. And then you add gays in with that again. Going back to your topic, yeah. Woo! look out now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because then we, let's just think about the kinds of programs that are on television. You know? You're there. Yeah, we're here. Somebody yeah, has a TV or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if we think about the types of television sitcoms and whatnot highlighting black male lives and or characters, you know, the gay black men are always, almost always, I shouldn't say always, 
but almost always, I talk about primetime TV, depicted mm-hmm. as download. Flaming, flaming or download, but flamer, yep. very flamboyant, uh, very emasculine, you know, exactly. emasculated. Yep, um, exactly. Pranksters, jokesters, buffoons. Uh, Tyler Perry good is good for that, you know. He, the the little yep. guy on the ship. Yes, I mean I'm like, come on, you right. know. And then when we say something, because you know I certainly said things about this on my blog or wherever, and I got black folks who get pissed off at me, like, yeah. oh, he's providing jobs to people. Oh, you know, or or whatever. We don't see the erosion of exactly <laughs> a black identity, right? A exactly. black culture. Exactly, exactly. Well, and like, and even I agree. when they do show a masculine, um, I was going to say, even when they do show those characters that have that are sort of emasculated, you know, they they never show like other dimensions. Like it's always sort of like the you know the snarky, you know, sarcastic, you know. Mm-hmm. Girl, thing, and not like what he's dealing with when he's sad or what he's dealing with, you know, in his everyday life. You know what I mean? It's always for comedy relief. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. You're right. And I'm going to post a link, you know, talking about that a little bit later on today, in which, especially when they're talking about, you know, gay males, but in particular, even with, you know, trans people, it's like they're always the butt of the joke. You know, or they're living to some type of stereotypes, which is why at the beginning I asked people to go out and do some research on cultural anthropology and gender roles so that you can kind of understand some of these things and put it in its proper perspective. But, again, you know, why is it that in many cases we have to be the butt of the joke? Not only, you know, um, blacks and minorities, but, you know, the LGBT community, I'm not understanding, you know, and... It's just, again, getting back out there and taking control of the narrative. And you're right. You know, there are a lot of different organizations that are out there that are doing good work. She brought up um, BSLA, Black Skeptics Group Los Angeles. They have a scholarship program, for those of you that aren't familiar with it. And these scholarships are going to LGBT youth that, you know, in many cases have faced difficulties. So some of them were uh, coming from foster homes. They were homeless, you know, adopted, you know, just different scenarios there. And so, you know, if you all can donate, you know, go out to, you know, um, to Hutchison's page, and you can donate towards the scholarship So because they're going to give out four. And I believe that ceremony will be in June of this year. And as soon as I get the information, I'll share it with you guys. But they're doing great things, especially, you know, with the LGBT youth because, you know, the majority of the homeless youth we have, they are LGBT and they have been kicked out of their homes, you know, by their Christian parents, you know, how Christian of them. But, you know, there are a lot of issues, you know, um, and again, it, they have to be addressed. They are being addressed. We need to be more vocal about these things and cry out more about these injustices. And for those of us that can, you know, because many of us in this community, we're working toward putting our organizations together, and it takes time. You know, I've had yeah. people say, well, what are you doing? 
Well, we're putting it together, and it takes time. It does not happen overnight. These churches and different organizations of that ilk, if you will, they've, they've developed this, they've perfected it, and they've had, you know, centuries to put this together. This is something new, you know, non-believers, secular society. We're just starting to organize. So it's going to take some time, but we are putting forth effort. That scholarship, I have to hold it up because, again, you know, they're putting their, you know, money where their mouths are, and we're helping people. And there are some things that we're getting ready to put together here in Chicago as well, as well as other cities, you know, across the nation. But we're doing it slowly but surely. But, again, if you see, you know, just as an individual, you can help too. If you see some LGBT youth out here or even some adults and they need some help, you direct them to the resources or you give it to them. Mm-hmm. You know, you, we're here to help one another, regardless of their ideology. I mean, I have several friends that are LGBT that are still Christians. They think I'm nuttier than a fruitcake. Because uh-huh. I'm a non-believer, and, and they think they nutty me. too. Me. <laughs> <laughs> and you think they nutty too? Just be real. But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, what was I? What I was gonna say was, um, I don't know if you guys had talked about this before I got on, um, but um, one of the things about the church in particular that uh, that bothers me is it seems like a lot of these churches. Um, they, they get a lot into these conspiracy theories, and I know there's, like, that one guy who does, yeah. like, the the hiding in hip-hop or whatever, or not hiding in hip-hop, but, like, the, um, you know, the one that's, like, about hip-hop and, like, the Illuminati or whatever, and they're yeah. always trying to add in that there's, like, people are gay or they're being initiated into, like, sex rituals or whatever, and um, and a lot of the, a lot of this stuff is, is held up in the church. And, um exactly. What's, well, because what's they're not they're though. not taking they're not taking back the narrative. That's the right. thing. I mean, at one point, I would say that the institution of uh, the black church, uh, the formation of that here in the United States, was headed in that direction. But it was at the time of integration uh, quite compromised by the need for so many blacks at that time to get a piece of the pie. And so, therefore, you know, again, that kind of revolutionary uh, uh, restructuring and whatnot um, took took a backseat, you know, a, you know, in in the name of of economics and class and the need to, to um, that many people had to to make you know money and to survive. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, right. there is a very kind of racist and and unfortunate aspect of it. But at the same time, yeah, these two, I was watching uh, Eat the Press this morning or something. It was watching me because I was staying up late last night. And saw Calvin, Reverend Calvin or Reverend Doctor, I think, Calvin Butts out of New York City talking yeah. on a panel. Yeah, they, they had Susan and Jacoby on there. And, you know, here he was throwing out some stuff. And nobody really challenged him. Big time. Well, actually, no, they didn't challenge him. Actually, George Stephanopoulos, or I think that's how you say his name, he was challenging Susan Jacoby. You know, what I would have liked to have seen is a black, again, a black atheist. Really, you know, yeah. you know, who, again, this is, this is why, and this is one of the reasons why I do what I do as someone who's been trained in theology. Because, right. you know, sometimes, if, well, if you don't have that basis, you know, then maybe, you know, people may not feel that comfortable going toe-to-toe or head-to-head with that. 
but I do, and you know it wouldn't take nothing for me to do that. Or let's, I mean, Kim, you mentioned the the 50th anniversary of the American Atheist. Where were the yeah. black men? There were black women there. Uh, right. Jamila Bay, Mandisa Thomas, that I know right. of. I mean, I don't know if there were any more. But what about black men? There's some. Exactly. There's some very highly visible black men. Frederick Sparks out in uh, L.A. You know who could have been and should have been invited. Exactly. You know, this is, this is <laughs> exactly. Woo. Exactly. You know. They should have been invited. And not only was, you know, that 50th anniversary there, I'm looking at, you know, a lot of the other organizations too. I see, you know, uh, the lack of a presence of black males. I see a lack of a presence of, you know, um, um, transgender or even opening out LGBT. You know, you have a couple of, you know, LGBT, you know, members, you know, that are out that are, but again, we have to be more inclusive. But I guess you know, you know, and they're they're trying to a certain degree. And again, you know, one of my questions, you know, has been: Are they trying because of political expediency or because they really do care? I guess that's yeah, because you know, it's like, oh, we want to get somebody black up here talking. And right. I mean, look, I saw the clergy panel. I saw a little picture of the clergy panel. Uh, I mm-hmm. wasn't called about that. You know what I'm saying? I'm ex-clergy, been out for 10 years, yeah. right? No phone call, no, you know, woo-woo. But that's partly, and, and, I, and I, I will say that I think, you know, it's partly because of what the, the, the probably those in power uh, associated with the American um, atheist, freedom from religion, you know, because now they kind of know me. Now they kind of got a sense of my politics and my politics aren't the let me give you the warm fuzzies kind of politics. You know, this, this isn't, oh, don't we all, we're one big happy family. I am not speaking the narrative that we find amongst, you know, especially the, the um, ex-clergy. So the mm-hmm. ex-clergy so far, is, is in terms of the narrative that I have seen, the most dominant narrative, it's not the only one, but the most dominant narrative that I've seen with Teresa McBain and some others is, Hey, when I came out, I got nothing but love, and this is just a wonderful place to be. Right. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm not saying (laughs) this is a bad place to be. But you have never heard me just come out and say, hey, the atheist community has just been wonderful to me. I mean, Teresa let's look at the politics of it. Teresa McBain comes out, boom, within, what, a month or so, or even before she came out. She was the executive director of the Clergy Project online um, community. Mm-hmm. Let's look at Jerry DeWitt. Jerry DeWitt came out, boom, he has a book deal. He's traveling all over the country. He had an agent. Yeah. Okay. So exactly. and I'm, not saying, I'm not saying give me that, right? Don't get me wrong. Anybody who knows me, I ain't after all that, right? But we have to pay attention to the way the narrative exactly. is being told and yep. and – you know, just because I'm critical of it doesn't mean I necessarily want to be at those events, uh, but that's not going to stop me from, if you were having my, you know, putting my narrative out there. And if that means to be critical of it, I mean, that's just who I am. I mean, everybody knows me, you know, I come mm-hmm. like that. So, exactly, yeah, it's, 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 it's right. very complicated, you know, because, yes, we know these groups want and need black presence across the board, but they want it 
on their terms, which is about privilege, you know, whiteness, you know, exactly. power, and the domination and control over the narrative, making there exactly. be one narrative. No, oh, yeah, there's not one. Yeah, there's not one narrative. Because I'm, I'm all like, you tell that story, that's cool, but I'm to tell mine, right? And all of these gonna line up together, and then you know, then that's more equitable. Right, exactly. And then even on you know the flip side, with those of us that you know are part of this particular culture, we have to make sure that we don't get caught up and get sucked down the rabbit hole. Because again, you have a, you know, you have some nationalists on this side that are basically incorporating, you know, non-belief into their message, and, uh-huh. it, right. and it, it's easy to get sucked into that and not realizing right. what's happening until you know right. you're ten feet under. Because, right, <laughs> and I was, I was gonna say, and that's kind of what I was gonna bring up earlier. <laughs> when I made my point before um, that there were people who, uh, you know, the, that same sort of homophobia in connection with, like, these con- sort of conspiratorial, you know, ideas is being, you know, brought over into this side. And there are some, some pretty, you know, uh, I guess prominent, semi-prominent individuals who are, you know, uh, you know, out here basically spreading this sort of homophobic, nationalist, you know, conspiratorial, you know, ideology. Right. You know? Exactly. You have to be on the lookout for those and, and that's why, yeah, that's who those again. people are. Right. <laughs> but I think well, you guys an idea of who I'm talking about. Yeah, but so. and that is why there needs to be, you know, multiplicity of narratives. Uh, I mean, basically, it's not just, again, it's not enough to just for people to know, to hear us talk about these things. I mean, part of it is, what are you going to take away? What are you going to go and do? (laughs) Right? Right. If if we're saying time to make room for more than one narrative, that needs to be happening. If you're serious about ending racism, ending homophobia, and what have you, then now it's time to get busy and do something. Exactly. You know, based on what they're hearing you, me, us say, all of this program and other programs that are similarly situated, it's in books, the books written by Shakibu, the books written by um, Anthony Penn, you know, the Trey. books written by you know, Norm Allen. Um, I'm writing a book. You know, we're all writing. We're all putting stuff out there. Exactly. And it's not for... The fun of it. They're not doing it for the fun of it, so to speak. Yes, and please support and please support these different programs and whatever that are out here. I was just talking about one of one of the radio hosts, uh, prominent radio hosts, that just you know he didn't get his contract renewed with Cumulus, and why I was happy that that happened because he he um (laughs) he you know promotes a lot of you know pseudoscience on his program. He promotes a lot of heterosexist, you know, nonsense on his program. You know, there's there's been a couple instances that I'm aware of of just blatant homophobia, you know. But, and you know, there's been, um, and, and of course, you know, there's uh, objectification of women going on and all that kind of stuff. 
you know, so you know, and when we say when we say objectification, I want you guys to understand that we're not saying that there's something wrong with sex. That's not what objectification is. It is basically taking away the personhood of that individual and looking at them as though they are just an object for there you your go. pleasure. They're mm-hmm. just a toy for mm-hmm. you. And that's something completely different. You know what I mean? And, and there's a lot yeah. of that that happens within the, quote-unquote, again, the atheist community, along with some of these posts uh, where you have, um, you know, men post, a lot of, see this lot, men posting uh, pictures of women, um, you know, a lot of that is about this kind of, you know, ooh la la, sex, this, that, and the other. And it's not, uh, it's apart from a real, again, a real embrace of the personhood, you know, but for one, a, a man's sexual gratification, you know, that's the message that's coming through. I'm not getting stuff like, isn't she wonderful? You know, it's, it's not she, it's about body parts, naked butts, and boobs, and all right. what stuff. I wouldn't, like, want, what yeah. I wouldn't want to do to that. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. I wouldn't want to do to know, that as though it's an object, not a, not a human being. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and yeah, that's just because, yeah. just because we're being critical of that doesn't mean we're anti sex. I have a problem yeah. with sex, you know. Yeah. But if I were to if I were to start posting a whole bunch of pictures of naked men, you know, and like slobber, you know, I want to go do A, B, you know, C and D with them, you know, I bet these men would go nuts, you know. Why do you have to do that? I mean, you know, no, probably not. <laughs> no, most of them would probably, yeah, most of them would be inboxing you, yeah, exactly, more than likely. Yeah, true, 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 freaks, perverts. <laughs> and they will gladly take that title. You can laugh if I am. All righty then, you know. And that's why I don't do I refrain from stuff like that, you know, because, yeah, I mean, it, it supports that, as you were saying, Raina, that objectification. Uh, and, the, and, and, again, the, the, a lot of the stereotypes that go along with being atheists or, you know, a non-believer. You know, a lot of people think that to be atheist and non-believer is to be, you know, to be freaky, you know, to be a pervert. That narrative is out there. Yeah. Uh, I fully embrace my pervert. I fully embrace, embrace my pervert nature, though. I'm <laughs> not even going to shy away from it. But, uh, <laughs> we didn't say I, don't. You know, do your thing, do your thing now. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I do mean, your thing, do your thing with it doesn't have to be yeah, there. but it doesn't have to be the objectification, <laughs> right, right? And the objectified. Well, let me ask you a question then. <laughs> is the person that posted the picture wrong or is the onus on the weak female who took the picture or the person who hired her to take the picture and paid Everything. her for taking All the picture? Of them. Right. All of them, well, but the but the female but the female who is but the female who's engaged in that is is kind of engaging in a in a in a different thing called patriarchal bargaining. All right, but right. I'll let I'll let, I'll let um, Annalise pick the rest of that up. Well, that's a new one to me. But but no, my argument would be, uh, you know, first of all, I would start with the question: Does this woman? I mean, just because we assume these women took this woman or a woman took a picture, half naked picture of herself. Does that mean and uh, that she has given consent to anybody to go and then use that? Um, 
for however they, she's not responsible for them. That's my point, right? She's only responsible for herself and, and vice right, versa see, with anybody else. See, the, the, the problem I have with that is that, you know, um, is that, you know, everybody has, you know, has a talent or an asset about themselves that they want to use to make money off of. This woman, for some reason, chose to use her body. Now, I can't say that she made the best choice or not, but if she's making a living using what her natural, what she feels her natural talent, how I don't understand how is that in a, a negative thing. You get what I'm saying? Well, I didn't say it was. That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. It's, it's not. But what what we don't know is the, the negotiated price. Yeah, right. we don't know what kind of consent. We don't know, you know, if this guy, you know, how, how he got to pick. I mean, this is all this unknown stuff. And I'm not trying to say, I mean, one time I, I did some serious writing around porn. Um, and, you know, I was invited by some feminists to come and talk about it. And one thing I had to impress upon them was like, look, I am not against porn per se. What I'm against, and same, I would say the same thing about these kind of pictures, right? But what I'm against is a very uncritical, un conscious way of engaging in it for those using it, right? right. The ones who are using it, uh, consuming it, again, without thinking, without... Well, it's not just the consumers, but it's the producers, too, because there are different types of porn, and there's different types of porn that take into account, you know, uh, patriarchy and, you know, representing people in, in ways that don't necessarily objectify them, but 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 then also there, it, it there celebrates is, sex. You know what I mean? There, you know there's porn with Japanese tentacle squid monsters with penises on the end of them? Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. It's some weird shit out there, man. They're eating it up. And I was going to say, and a lot of that porn also has a lot of rape themes associated with it as well. So, you know, one has to, you know, examine the culture and a lot of that comes from patriarchy. So, right. right. Again, going back to if, if you're going to come to it, you know, my argument is come to it with a consciousness of, of really what's going on. Don't just say, well, they did this or they did that, you know, but just really be aware of what uh, images are being used, you know, what porn it sells the most. I mean, certainly uh, there's porn that has been, you know, not as popular, and the reason it's not, you know, often it's, porn that uh, is about safe sex, you know, while, you know, in the process of it. So the ones that are selling like hotcakes are the ones that are just like total abandoned, right? You know, that, um, mm-hmm. yeah, but that, I mean, that's a whole, that's, that's a whole different conversation, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I just say that to kind of go back on the thing that Raina was saying about objectification and why that, that objectification is problematic. And even well, the posting of something in a setting, in a place where, okay, some dude can post it, but it doesn't, you know what I'm saying? Right. Whoa, do, do, you know. And we talk about what about, what about the, what's reasonable, kind of a, a, a sense of consent for those who are watching it, too, you know, who are seeing it. What's reasonable? Right. They're really not reasonable. Now, now go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Now, I noticed something in, in peculiar, um, Particular, I said peculiar. Um, uh, we and I, this is from a uh, it stems from a conversation I had with someone else. Um, he will, they were posting 
nude African pictures. I mean, they were artistically done, um, you know, well well lit with a dark-skinned woman with a, a African um, feature. There'd be some type of African motif or something like that. Maybe some African t- trinkets on, but she'd be nude and showing off her body and stuff like that. And that was fully accepted. And then, but then when posted a, 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 a video chick with, with a grotesquely large ass, which is not attractive to me anyway, but anyway, and when that was posted, that's when there was a problem. So, well, I mean, I think it's, I think it's again, it's a, it's a difference in the representation. You know, this woman, and uh-huh. I, I don't know what the pictures look like, so I can't really comment on them. But if if, if the pictures that, of the woman were not done in such a way that were supposed to be, you know, just for the purposes of just, you know, sort of ooh, you know, and like for people to oogle or you know, right, drool over. And then, you know, you have this other one where I'm pretty sure she had an arched back and, you know what I mean, all of that crazy stuff. And, and plus, you should really check, check out some of these poses because a lot of these poses are very uncomfortable to keep in in, right. in one position in. And no one stands or, or poses like that in real life for any reason. Right. I'm serious. <laughs> so we should also keep that in mind. Okay. Actually, it was really funny. One of my friends, Andy the Nerd, she has a Tumblr. She actually was um, was um, reading uh, one of those comic books. I think it was the um, the Starfire uh, comic book character. There was um, in the in the book they decided in this new series they decided to kind of sex Starfire up, and so Starfire is supposed to be handing this man a towel. And, like, the way that she's posed when handing this man a towel is just impossibly uncomfortable for anybody <laughs> to be in. And it's, and it's all about arched back and, like, you know, pushed out boobs. You know what I mean? No one would hand anyone a towel like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And just to show how ridiculous it was, Andy and uh, a, a male friend of hers, you know, both did the pose, just to show how ridiculous it was. And it was also kind of made to show that if it looks ridiculous on a woman, it looks just as ridiculous on a man. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, you know, we have to keep in mind, keep these things in mind, you know? Right. And, yeah, and, I mean, it is good that we talk about it and, you know, we're bringing it to light and in some cases finding some humor in it. And it, it all goes back to, you know, again, putting these issues, you know, on the front burner, addressing it, continuing to address it. But it's also about transforming. And that was one of the um, stories I was going to tell everyone about, the failure to transform homophobia in the black community. And this was written by Cheryl Clark. But it's not only pertaining to homophobia, if you will. You can use it for a number of different, um, you know, isms out there, if you will. And, you know, so... You know, take a look at that. I'll post that as well. But, yeah, we need to transform and, like I said, take back control of the narrative and start transforming because in many of our communities, we have to set the example. You know, getting out here and talking about it and spitting out a lot of hot air, a lot of rhetoric, that's going to do nothing. You know, people have become extremely apathetic to that. So that's why I always say Ooh, I don't know what that is, but we have we have to be the example. 
We have to be the example. We have to start transforming, and we have to take back control of the narrative. And, again, like I said earlier, you know, we have these different organizations out here, and, you know, they're doing some great works. You know, I see, you know, Ayanna Watson with her Science Cube program. You know, it's an after-school program, you know, hopefully, you know, um, with some of the children, especially the ones that are working with the STEM within STEM schools, you know, science, technology, engineering, and what's fourth Mathematics. Fourth? Mathematics. Um, you know, with the STEM program. You know, again, you know, for those of you, you know, that know of people that have children that have children, it's extremely, you know, important that we start to, again, transform, start changing their way of thinking. Personally, I don't see how a lot of parents can allow their children to identify with some of these quote-unquote celebrities and these athletes because, again, look at what has been happening in those worlds. I mean, why can't you be your child's hero? So, again, transforming the community, transforming the way we think, transforming the way that we look at things, you know, perception, you know, and getting back and, again, taking control of the narrative, and, you know, moving on and doing what we're supposed to do um, is important. But I see that happening now. You know, we're talking about it. Society is changing, even though you may have certain facets of our, you know, society kicking and screaming against it. That goes back to something that Doc said earlier about how now all of a sudden there are some people that are jumping on a bandwagon, if you will. Some are jumping on a bandwagon because that's what they truly believe. Maybe they were afraid to speak out. But you have others that are speaking out because of political expediency. And we have to be able to tell the difference between the two. Yeah, I mean, you have to be able to see that if someone is going to just sit back and wait, you know, for a quote-unquote the best time for them to come out, I mean, that's their choice. But there's some of us and, and, and those who who are, you know, who really, you know, like now is the best time. Um, and, and who will go, again, who are going to go along and they're going to, experience some of the greatest suffering when it comes to that work. Um, right. I mean, there's a place for everyone, but, you know, at different points, because for those who have taken, if you will, the heat in a way that's very, very, you know, intense, as opposed to, say, now, as I mentioned before, Jimmy Carter coming in and being able to reap the benefits uh, all that has been done thus far with regard to women, gender, you know, sexual uh, discrimination, gender discrimination, you know, it, it, again, it lessens the, for me at least, it says, oh, okay, that's nice, you know. Uh, yeah. What I want to hear about and know about and even promote are those who have, again, who have taken the greatest heat, who have lost so much uh, because of their of their willingness to stand. You know, that's, right. that's not to be minimized or and or glossed over. I mean, and hopefully Jimmy Carter, for example, President Jimmy Carter would would wake up with those then. I mean, like that would be the next step, right? I mean, it's not just enough to come out and or distance oneself from religion and God, but then 
okay, so what are you going to do again? What are you going to do now? Now that you're yeah. out there, what, what group of women are you going to work with that have taken the seat and then use your resources to support what they're doing? Because he's not going to take that heat. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Uh-huh. And, and you're right. He's called a great man. You know, he, you know, <laughs> it's like, wow, wow, wow. I mean, look at the, um, well, anyway, I, I won't go off into another thing. But, yeah, it's, it's just, <laughs> like you said, we always have to look at the politics of something. That is right. always much more to something than meets the eye. You know, there's a whole, dy- there's many dynamics, rather, that circulate around an issue. Um, and, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, it's just what happens. It's just part of it all. Um, those of us who are in it and who are, again, who are there on that line, you know, they have to find ways to nurture ourselves, uh, okay. to find support with each other, you know. Right, and, exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Cause next week's show, uh, next week's show, you know, that came as a suggestion from someone. Um, basically, we're going to be talking about religion and the exploitation of women. And the show after that, you know, I was thinking about it, but after today's discussion, we can go ahead and talk about it. I want to talk about slut-shaming, if you will, but I want to come at it from basically talking about um, the slut walk they had in New York and how, you know, again, how privilege is incorporated in that because when it comes to And let's talk about the about, politics of pleasure, too. Pardon? The politics of pleasure. Oh, the pleasure. politics of pleasure. Okay. Okay. You know, we can talk about all of that. You know, but again, you know, these are the subjects for the next two weeks, um, for the next two Sundays. But, you know, again, talking about it in regarding to sexuality, how you know black women are not are not necessarily afforded the same privilege as white women. Can you imagine if there was a group of black women calling themselves doing a slut walk? And ironically, you know the white women that did the slut walk in New York, they were they seemed to be a little perplexed at the responses that they received, you know, from the middle in their community. So you know it should be interesting. It, it'll be it'll be interesting. I mean, on the one hand, you kind of have to you you understand the purpose, you know what I mean, and the impetus behind the slut walk. But at the same time, like, why use that word? You know what I mean? Right. At all? Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I, you know, I understand why people think that you know why people try sometimes to take these negative words and try to flip their meaning. But it, 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 to me, it just it just doesn't it doesn't help any. You know what I mean? Right. The point should be, the point should be, you shouldn't be slut shaving me to begin with. Exactly. Period. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Well, there's a writer. Uh, she's atheist. She's queer. Um, Yasmin Nair is her name. Uh, y a s m i n Nair n a i r dot net. And she's written a piece about slut walk. She's been very active in this course about that, so I uh, certainly recommend people go look at her her work on that, uh, her writing and on been, And there's been some good articles from, on like, I think Racialicious did one. I think um, Crunk Feminist Collective had one mm-hmm. or two, you know, so there's, there's, there's good work yeah. out there on all of these things, and 
you know, on yeah. all of the things that we've talked about, really, there's there's something good out there to read. So. Yeah, so sometimes just because something sounds negative or what we might associate with negative may not be, and, and you know, and again, this is very uh, complex. These are complex kinds of arguments, and I think it's better and best if we all, you know, you have to lay several arguments out together. You have to put them, you know, not just read one type of, um, read from one type of perspective. But, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, all that we do, we're hearing different sides, uh, even if, you know, they're critical or, you know, totally in support or whatever, because that helps to, to nuance, you know, the argument. Uh, that we we all have, you know. That's what I, that's how I train myself to be a better critical thinker. Is just, you know, I just won't read one stamp from one standpoint. And right. Yeah, that, no, that's how I know. And there and there were and there were white and there were like a lot of um, white feminists and, and writers that I've read too who defended, you know, the use of the of the word slut. Um, and then there were some that even defended. I think uh, there was a a flyer that was used in one of the slut walks that basically quoted. John Lennon and said that woman is the nigger of the world, and um, you know, and um, there were some black feminist reactions to that, you know, because I'm sorry, nigger is the only nigger of the world. <laughs> I'm sorry, right. that's and right. when you're a black and when you're a black woman, you know, it's even worse. So sorry, you you no, no, I'm sorry, I don't care what John Lennon said. You know, I like a lot of his music, but he doesn't get to speak, you know, on that. Who was it that wrote the piece? Uh, Skeptic was it? What's her name? Uh, Rebecca Watson. She wrote this piece about calendaring, uh, the news and calendaring within the atheist community. And uh, I remember I wrote to her and, and on Facebook to send her a message and said how much I appreciated her uh, her critique of it. Uh, you know, her take on women in the atheist community posing news for uh, money. And, and whatnot, because I thought she made some really good points. It was grounded in experience. You know, it was grounded in what she knew. It, it wasn't just going off, but she had uh, firsthand experience with doing uh, that work, and, you know, I thought it was just brilliant. And so, you know, I told yeah. her so. And, 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 and going off of that, too, there is um, there's Haina um, on the Skeptics wrote a really decent, a really, really, really good piece Um on a um, atheist, a former Muslim, um, who had a website where she had uh, taken pictures um, with a Quran, and one in particular had she had the Quran in between her legs, and some people, some feminists, had, had beat up on her, saying that the pictures were, um, you know, they were, um, you know, patriarchal, they were sexist, you know, they were, you know, um, objectifying. And they actually weren't particularly objectifying. I, uh, if you read why she did it, and you see the pictures for yourself, the sort of the sort of reasoning becomes obvious. It, it wasn't, you know, she didn't have any arched back or anything. Like they weren't particularly sexual. She was, she was in the nude with the Quran. You know what I mean? And, you know. Um, um, and, and so I would encourage you guys to read that piece that by Hannah. It's a really good piece. Yeah, you know, posted on my wall, guys. Go ahead, Mario. One one of the things that uh, I, I you know, as much as I've gotten more and more into you know um, getting into feminism and, and stuff like that, and I've 
really uh, um, try to step up my, my role in that whole thing. One thing I don't understand is how when a woman does take in, take take over some herself and embrace some herself or something like that, especially if it involves her body or sex or something like that, she's then vilified by other women. That I mean, well, there there's there's a lot of reasons for that, um, but you know, even even um, when it comes to patriarchy, some of the some of the strongest defenders of patriarchy are actually women. So mm-hmm. you have to keep that in mind too. So, right. But there, I mean, there could be any number of reasons why women might attack other women. But I mean, that just that one just happens to stand out because that one we see a lot of on a regular basis. So, right, right. Well, again, so, I think women should be. Um, I, I don't think we should be afraid of being critical of each other. Uh, there are some people might see that as being vilifying. I mean, it, 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 one thing I try to avoid doing is, is tearing down a person. You know, I might critique a behavior. You know I mean? That's different than tearing down a person and or vilifying them. Because everybody does have their own reason why they do what they do. You know what I mean? Right. The point is to decide what's your position on the behavior, right? If your position on the behavior is, you, think, you know, wrong for women to be in the porn or uh, in the news business, then that's your position. You know what I mean? You can do that without tearing someone down uh, and make strong and plausible arguments uh, for your position. And and that's, again, that takes skill, that takes time for people to to really figure out how how to do it, how to make my position, you know, because with anything, you know, just because a woman is Doing something uh, that for her is liberation doesn't mean I have to agree with that. So right. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, yes, yeah, I mean, we're not always going to agree on everything as, as feminists. Or, you know, it's, I mean, that's just gonna, that's, that's just gonna happen. I mean, there are some, there are, there are Muslim feminists who don't feel strongly about the hijab. You know what I mean? And there, and there are, and there are Western feminists that make their whole, their whole lives about the hijab. Exactly. You know what I mean? So. But, that's, but it's good that we have these multifaceted, you know, um, ideologies, multifaceted, you know, um, beliefs or what have you, because, again, you know, it, it takes several folks to make the wheel turn, to keep it in place and to allow the wheel to turn. So, again, you know, you, we can't, one individual can't be an advocate for everything. Otherwise, mm-hmm. they'll never get anything done. Right, and I think that. With you know, there's this expectation that all women are going to be for anything women do. That's not true. That's not that's not even reasonable. Uh, you know, but it, and and so that's what I'm saying. Sometimes we you can't think that women are going to just you know wave the flag and and jump up and down and be the women. Other women's biggest cheerleaders. Because we all come from a particular again particular standpoint in life. Uh, you know, I write as a womanist. Uh, people think I'm a feminist, but that's okay because the two kind of, I call them two sisters, you know, two sides of the same coin. Um, but, you know, <laughs> that's cool. I mean, that, that we, I mean, I can, I know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? If I put something out there, I'm going to give you some information as to why I'm putting it out there. You know, I'm going to put it in context. So. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. And we're down to the last minute of the show. I would like to definitely thank, you know, um, Doc, uh, 
Raina, Cuffy, Mario, everybody that called in to the show, William there, and everybody in the chat room, we appreciate it. You know, this is only the beginning of this conversation on this show. This is part one, and, you know, from reading some of the things I've seen around on the Internet within our, you know, free thought community, I think we are going to have to do another show on leaving the church, but the church has not left you. I think this will be part three or part four. That will be coming up soon, too. Probably won't be until the 1st of May because we have with the last two weeks of April. So on that note, you all take care. Have a good weekend. I appreciate you, and Thank we're you. out. Bye. Bye. <laughs>